All right, last week we started a new series simply entitled Happily Ever After. And this is a series on relationships, a series on marriages. And, um, and, and, uh, and so last week we talked about holy marriage. And, um, and so we, uh, we kind of unpacked the, the, that marriage is, marriage is God's idea. That's where the idea of marriage came from. Um, so if you're married, you know, your spouse is the most important relationship you have here on earth. It, it, it really, really is. And, and it takes intentionality. It takes being purposeful. Now, if you're single here today, I want you to know that, that, um, that when, as a church, when we talk about marriages, it is never a dig at single people. Actually, Paul calls singleness a gift. And married people don't shout amen too loud. Don't do that. But singleness is a gift because Paul's like, hey, when you're single, you can just go hard after God's dreams for your life. You can go hard after the mission of God for your life without the distraction of, of, of your, of your, uh, marriage and, and family. And so, and that's how Paul dedicated his life. Paul was a single man throughout his entire ministry. He never married and he gave his entire life to the ministry. So singleness is a gift. And, uh, and maybe you're single right now and you're like, it doesn't feel like a gift. It feels like a curse. It feels like, well, then, then Paul would say, well, then, then definitely then marriage is something in the future for you. So whether you're single or whether you're married, I know that there are concepts that you can gather from this series. And, and, uh, uh, I thought someone was saying something helped me out there. I didn't, I didn't hear it. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is the, the second part of our series on marriage. Um, because here's what I know is that, um, that when David was, was, was out in the, in the field tending to his sheep, it said that the lion would come and take a lamb. And David would go to battle over a lamb. Because the reality is, if the, if the enemy were to come after the entire flock, uh, you, we all would unite together. And we would stand up and say, you're not taking every, every one of these. But what happens is slowly and surely the enemy comes and takes a lamb at a time. It's just a lamb. I have hundreds more. There goes one more lamb. It's okay. It's just, it's just one, one lamb. But if he comes after the whole flock, we, we go to war. The same thing is happening in our families. Because if the, if the enemy were to come and attack one of your children, the husband and wife would unite together and fight for their child. If the enemy would come and attack your finances, the husband and wife would, would come together and take a stand to protect the, their provisions for their family. So what the enemy does is he can, if he can wedge himself in the middle of your marriage, then he also gets to destroy everything else. And so what we said last week, we said destroy the family and you can uh, destroy the church. You can destroy the community and to ultimately destroy the nation. That we really believe that the family is this, is this, this God-designed structure for children and for relationship, and it's important. And so what, what I know is that God wants to heal the family. He wants to heal the church, heal the community, and ultimately heal the nation. And so we have to start with having strong families, which begins with strong marriages. Now, marriage is something, obviously, that's very close to my heart. Jenny and I, this month, 
we will be celebrating our 15-year anniversary. And I have no idea how I convinced such a wonderful woman to spend the rest of her life with me, but it's only by the grace of God. Um, and I'm reminded every day, I actually was just telling her this week, and I was like, I can't believe that I somehow convinced you to spend your life with me. This is awesome. I kind of feel like I got the, the, I got the, the real end of the deal uh, on that. Uh, 15 years. And so obviously this is something that, um, I, 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 as someone that's been married 15 years, I don't feel like I'm necessarily newlywed. But when I talk to some of you guys, I feel like, man, I'm newlywed. <laughs> like some of y'all been married longer than I've been alive, you know? That's not, that's, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. <laughs> but I just, I just have honor for that. I really do. And so, uh, so I, I do come with maybe a level of uh, experience, experience through my own failures, experiences through my own learning experiences when it comes to the topic of marriage. But I also come to you with the topic of marriage as one that can't possibly know it all. Okay, your pastor doesn't know it all, but I'm, I'm definitely very passionate about this. And, um, and today's message is going to be particularly tough to discuss. Uh, the, the part of relationships that we're going to talk about today is, is, is part of which that, statistically speaking, that between one-third or half of the people in this room have experienced. And I even personally know that that is true here in our church. And today, I want, we're going to discuss the topic of divorce, the undoing of a marriage. The 2021 stats on divorce say that almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce. That's every 13 seconds there is one divorce in America. That's 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 per day, 46,523 per week, 2.4 million a year. There are nine divorces in the time it takes one couple to recite their wedding vows. Here are the top eight reasons for divorce in 2021. 73% of divorces stated that it was due to a lack of commitment. 56% of divorces say it was because they argue too much. Over half at 55% was due to infidelity. 46% of divorcees said that they they just got married too young. 45% had unrealistic expectations of the relationship. 44% said there was a lack of equality in the relationship. 41% said there was a lack of preparation for marriage. And 25% was due to domestic violence or abuse. So statistically speaking, about one-third to half of us in this room today have either experienced divorce, or maybe even a higher percent of us us have been affected by divorce in some way. I personally know that there are many here that have been through the pain of divorce. And before we start, I want you to please understand something today is that today it is in no way a message to shame anybody that has experienced the pain of divorce. And also, I want you to know, before we get started, that this message is in no way to promote divorce either. Um, We will simply look at the scriptures. We're going to listen to the words of Jesus We're going to understand some of the historical arc of divorce, 
But moreover, the point is something much, much greater. The point is, is that there is hope for every single person. There's hope for every marriage. There's hope for every divorcee. There's hope. Now, the issue of divorce is something that is vast and complex. There is no two divorces that are the same. Many times, well-intentioned people have tried to approach divorce in a very black and white, rigid, like structured way. And I would say you just can't because every divorce Every relationship is vastly different and complex. It doesn't seem very cut and dry, which is why they asked Jesus specifically his thoughts on divorce. So it's very, very, uh, it's very vast, very complex. And the re- also, it's important to realize that you never really know all the details of somebody's behind the scenes that have experienced divorce. And honestly, if I can be honest with you, not everybody is entitled to know all the details of other people's behind the scenes. The people that have experienced the pain of divorce have also experienced the pain of judgments from others. And more times than not, people that have experienced divorce have done the hard work of being vulnerable with other people, inviting people into their problems and saying, we need help. You just might not know that. And you don't need to probe for information when somebody's going through a crisis like that. It's like if you were to have a, a, a very serious problem within your family, maybe with one of your children. And it's very personal, very private, and it's very painful you might invite in your parents, your pastor, a close friend, but the family reunion, you don't share this with your uncle and your great uncle and your step cousins. You keep it close, right? And so people that experience this, this depth of pain, sometimes it, it's just something that is dealt with sometimes privately and it's not to be, they're not to be outed publicly necessarily. But again, every situation is vastly different and deserves to be handled sometimes in delicate ways and sometimes not. But they're all different. That's what I've come to know. So before we get started today, I want to ask you, church, if you will offer me today a measure of grace. That if you would offer me a measure of grace to recognize that this is a very important topic, that you would offer a measure of grace to recognize that we are brave enough to talk about it, that, that, that you would offer grace to me to know that I cannot possibly speak to all of the complexities in a way that will satisfy every listener. But my heart is to bring hope and healing to every person and to ultimately just point us to Scripture. Can you offer me that kind of grace today? It's important enough to talk about. I think we're brave enough to do it. Now, 
when we discuss, when we want to look at scripture, when it comes to the issue of divorce, um, we can, we will get to the teachings of Jesus, things that Jesus said about divorce. Um, and we're going to ask the question later on, is divorce a sin? Um, but at Jesus's time, when they asked him his thoughts on divorce, it was because in the early first century, they only really had two verses to go off of when it came to divorce. And um, I, I will tell you that, the, that these two verses in the Old Testament that deal with divorce, um, the first one, uh, you'd have to understand, it, it basically says that if, if a man were to rape a woman, he has to marry her and not divorce her. Now, I understand today that seems really harsh, and, and obviously that's not something that we would condone. But you have to understand that that particular verse in its context was actually uh, to protect women. Because a woman, if she were to be defiled in that kind of way by rape, she nobody would marry her, nobody would look out for her, and she would likely end up giving her entire life to prostitution to provide for herself and, and maybe her, her family. And so Moses comes along, he says, no, 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 in, in, in the kingdom of God, I believe that if you're, going to, if you're going to defile a woman in that kind of way, then you're going to clothe her, house her, and feed her the rest of her life. You can't ever get out of it. So if you want to take one cheap shot at her, you're going to protect her the rest of your life. And so that was to protect women. Now, obviously, uh, God has continued to progress us through his revelation of what has always been true, God's, God's, God's heart for, for all people. And so that is not particularly a verse that we would say, that is for today. But that, is, that was a glimpse into what was to be fully revealed in the future. But the second verse on divorce in the Old Testament is really the only working verse that they had at Jesus' time for building some kind of structure, some kind of philosophy on divorce. And, uh, and so, um, so we're going to read a, a couple verses. We're going to look at Malachi, and then later we'll look in Deuteronomy. But here's what it says in Malachi. It says, it says here is a, a, another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays attention, he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Here's what the prophet says. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. He was there. He witnessed it. When you made a vow to be with her in sickness, and in health, that you would give your life for her. He witnessed it, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained faithful to you, the wife, though she remained faithful, the wife of your marriage vows. So didn't the Lord, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Again, marriage is two lives being brought together and made as one life. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? What does God want? He wants godly children from your union because he loves babies. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. So what does God have to say about divorce? He hates divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So uh, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Again, he, he, he repeats, so guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And so divorce, um, God says he hates divorce. That's what we know. That does not mean God says he hates the divorcee. It doesn't, it doesn't even mean that divorce will, should never happen. But he does hate it. And so let's, so let's give ourselves a bit of a working definition of divorce. Obviously, it's to a way of undoing that married life. But divorce, the, the word divorce can mean to, to cut, to sever. A better way of thinking of divorce is it's the ripping apart of flesh. In other words, it's not a clean cut. It's the ripping apart of flesh. Because remember, marriage is two lives becoming one. And to undo that will leave both sides injured, won't it? It's the ripping apart of flesh. And so, the, so again, the prophet is speaking to this idea of divorce and, but the scripture only has, but the Old Testament only has a couple verses that really teaches on it. And one, and one of those we get from Deuteronomy chapter 24. So for generations and generations before Jesus, this was really one of the only working verses they had to build a, 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 a philosophy on divorce. In Deuteronomy 24, this is what it says. It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, which was called a get, he gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if that man dies. In other words, if you marry a woman... And one day, by one of these two circumstances, she becomes available again. The first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. So he divorces her. She marries, becomes available by either divorce or death. The first, Moses is saying, and the first husband cannot remarry this woman that was married a second time. In other words, why, why repeat the pain? <laughs> And, and, uh, and so that right there is pretty much all they had on divorce. That Moses, the law of Moses said that a man, uh, if he simply becomes displeased with his, his wife, if he finds anything uh, indecent about her, he can divorce her. I think this, this is too open-ended, don't you think? What does it mean by he finds something indecent? Like, like what's the limitation on this? Is there a limitation on what could be indecent about a spouse? And so that is literally the debate that was going on in the early first century amongst the teachers of the law, rabbis and Pharisees, was there was a huge debate about are there limitations on this? Ultimately, uh, they come to Jesus and they ask him his opinion on this. And... Um, because of the debate going on in the early first century. So they invite Jesus into their debate. And I think that when we understand that there was this great debate going on about divorce, it helps us understand maybe what Jesus is also saying about it. So let's look at it in um, Matthew chapter 5, 
This is what it says. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife, this is part of Sermon on the Mount, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of, of divorce. And where was that said? We just read it in Deuteronomy 24. So Jesus is saying, it has been said, he quotes Deuteronomy 24, which they would have all known, and then Jesus says this, but I say, hmm, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Well, let's look at Mark chapter 10 when Jesus, again, is, is questioned on this. It says, some Pharisees came and tested him. They tested Jesus by asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful? Well, we already know that divorce is vast and complex. That's too open-ended. Jesus' response was this. What did Moses command you? Remember, we just read what Moses commanded in Deuteronomy 24. And what Moses commanded was, a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce if he finds anything displeasing in her. Well, what's the limitation on that? And so Jesus replied, uh, what does Moses command you? They said, well, Moses permits permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It didn't say for what reason, it just said that he could. It was because, and Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this, wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at, watch how Jesus starts. Now he's going to shift to his response to the question, can, is divorce lawful or can a man divorce his wife? This is what he says. At the beginning, at creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, what's it say? Let no one separate. So when he's asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus starts off by saying, before we get into it, I want you to know that, that by God's initial design, a man and woman are to be wed and let nothing separate it. So that gives us this, that, that God's idea of marriage is that it is for life. It is a covenant to be honored for life. Two lives becoming one. Although it doesn't always end that way. So this is how it was at the beginning. Let no one separate. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And we have done a bad job at beating people up with that last little part. And we've, too many times, good-intentioned people have taken this to mean if, you've, if you're divorced, you can never remarry. But a couple things I want to point out. Well, first, let's, let's just stay on that. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. A better way of describing this is when we look at the original language, it, it, it reads more like this. If you divorce in order to marry someone else, Jesus is saying, I, 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 I equivalent that to adultery. It's not... If you divorce and then remarry, it's adultery. No, no, no. If your heart's intention was, I don't want to be with you because I want to be with her. I'm going to divorce you 
in order to be with them. Jesus is saying, you've committed adultery. Think about what he's also said about adultery. If you even look at another woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, the standard of Jesus is quite high. So a couple of things I, want to, I think is important to note is that the first thing is that Jesus points out in the beginning. His response to divorce was, well, let's look at the, the very first. It's a man and a woman, and it's for life. Two lives being joined together, let no one separate. That's how he begins his discussion on divorce, that it's intended to be this way. Uh, at many weddings, sometimes you've seen this, and, and many weddings that I've performed with couples, uh, they, they, do, uh, they usually do something to signify two lives coming together. Sometimes they do what's called the unity candle, where there's three candles, there's a candle that represents the life of the bride and a candle that represents the life of the groom. And then there's a candle in the middle. And at some point during the marriage ceremony, they each take the candles and they light the center one and then they blow out their individual candles. In other words, I'm blowing out the light on my life and I'm lighting the single candle that represents now our lives together. Another illustration that couples do is sand. They'll have two jars of different colored sand that are separate. Well, let's, let's call one, give me two colors. Blue, red. We have blue sand and red sand. One jar is all blue. One jar is all red. But then in the marriage ceremony, the, the couple will go and they'll pour the blue and the red sand together to signify the blue sand was my life. The red sand was your life. But now when we pour the two together, how do you ever get the red and the blue apart again? <laughs> you can't. You can't. Imagine trying to separate the red and blue sand together in one place. That is, that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that is, that is marriage. It's to, to be completely made together in, in, in one thing. And so that's how he begins it. But, but now, again, remember, they're inviting Jesus into this long debate that they were having. So let's talk about the first century debate between Hillel and Shammai. In Jesus' time, disciples were followers of rabbis. Those rabbis taught them whatever their rabbis had taught them. And then those disciples learned what that rabbi taught them. And then they teach it to their disciples one day, should they ever become a rabbi. This teaching is that it was called that rabbi's authority. Every rabbi has a certain authority. It was also referred to as that rabbi's yoke. Another way of saying is their, that rabbi's yoke was their way of interpreting scripture. And so I would pass down the way I was taught to in, interpret scripture to my disciples and one day one of them to their disciples. The two, and, and so, so you don't become a rabbi with your own authority without a, a certain process that, and that's not what this message is about. But there were two main voices in the Jewish community in the early first century. There was two main rabbis that had their own authority. And in other words, sometimes they didn't see eye to eye on certain issues. And so, uh, so we had Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. And, and both of these rabbis passed away about the time that Jesus was a teenager. And so people were really hungry to know a, a, a new way. To, to, know, to know somebody with authority, which is why they would always say, wow, this Jesus guy, he teaches with authority. And so Rabbi Hillel and Shammai, they did not see eye to eye on the issue of marriage. Both of them, Hillel and Shammai, were trying to do their best work with the only working verse they had, which was Deuteronomy 24, which we read. 
that says a man can issue his wife a certificate of divorce if he sees anything unpleasing in her. That's all they had. And so they developed two different thoughts, interpretations of this. And so all they had were, were these teachings. Now, Rabbi Hallel, Rabbi Hallel's philosophy of divorce based on Deuteronomy 24 was what is called an any cause divorce. So Hallel, just based off of what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 24, Hallel came to the conclusion from what Moses said, this is an any cause divorce. And it is said, and it is recorded, that people even believed it was rightful to give your wife a certificate of divorce if she burned your bread. So she overcooks the toast, you could give her a certificate of divorce. And I'm glad to say I would have no reason then for divorcing Jenny. She's just an incredible cook, um, which is why I weigh a lot more now than I did when I got married. So Rabbi Hallel, his philosophy was divorce for any cause, even if she burns the bread. Well, Rabbi Hallel, how can you come to that conclusion? Deuteronomy 24, it's all I got to work off. It says a man can divorce his wife if he sees anything indecent in her. Well, what if she burns the bread? I guess so. I guess there's no limitation. Well, then obviously there was a contradictory, contradictory, whatever that word is, there was a contradiction to Hillel in Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai's philosophy on divorce, it, it was a, uh, his philosophy on divorce was based, again, off the words of Moses, and he, his conclusion was that a man can divorce a wife for what he called marital unfaithfulness. Now, often when Jesus was questioned on different topics throughout the, the Gospels, often Jesus would side with Hallel many times. Hallel was more inclusive. But on this particular subject, Jesus flips, and he sided with Shammai. That is, that a divorce is... is, is a result of marital unfaithfulness. Now, something else that we kind of have to have a, a working understanding of, of, of a marriage in a Jewish, in a Hebrew uh, community, is the idea of something called the ketubah. The ketubah essentially is, for lack of a better term, a marriage contract that the families would draw up between a, a bride and groom before they got married. And a ketubah happens when, when two are betrothed to be married, and you have the bride and the groom together with their families. Fathers are involved in this. And they would discuss certain commitments that these two would agree to in their relationship. They would talk about expectations, priorities, responsibilities. How is the husband going to provide How's the wife going to uh, love and honor? And how the husband is going to love and honor and, 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 and set expectations for raising children and, 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 and all of these things. They would make an agreement that this is how you are to treat me and this is how I am to treat you. And they would have this ketubah, this agreement together. And with that being said, then in the, that agreement, ketubah, essentially is, becomes the covenant. 
And that's what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant agreement of a lifelong relationship together. Therefore, I think, uh, therefore, marital unfaithfulness can be a bit bigger than it seems. So this is what I would say. Marital unfaithfulness is any time someone is breaking their basic agreement with their spouse in an unrepentant pattern. So any time that a spouse is breaking this, this basic agreement of how we will act, how we will treat one another, my responsibilities to you, your responsibilities to me, in an unrepentant pattern. In other words, it is not a mistake. Because after all, what do we do if the working definition of marital unfaithfulness is, did he cheat on you? If, that, if that's the working definition, then what do we do with the spouse that's a victim of domestic violence? Wow, they didn't cheat. So hang in there. I'm praying for you. Listen, I'll tell you right now, if you are a victim of domestic violence, my instruction to you is you leave today. You, you separate yourself from them today. And, and then you work towards reconciliation because I believe there's hope for every marriage. But you should not be susceptible to that kind of danger. And it doesn't mean that God's not done in your story. I'm not saying you go file for divorce today. I'm saying separate yourself today and then take steps to see if there will be repentance. So what do we say? He didn't cheat. You have to stay there. But what if your spouse gambles away all of your family's money and there's nothing left to take care of the children and to provide for your family, the house, anything for their basic needs of life? And what if they're sorry? But what if it only continues? Well, she didn't cheat, so keep, keep at it. To what end? One Hebrew definition of hell is that it is a place without boundaries. Are you called to live in this kind of hell because they didn't cheat? I know that this is different. Marital marital unfaithfulness. Anytime someone is breaking their basic agreement to their spouse in an unrepentant pattern, it's not a mistake. Therefore, a pattern had to then be established. How do you establish a pattern? Well, here is, I'm going to, now I'm just giving you some history. This is how they would handle marital unfaithfulness. Maybe a husband was just so lazy that he didn't work and the kids were hungry and the house was, was dilapidated because he was not upholding his agreement to provide for his family, whatever it may be, marital unfaithfulness. The pattern had to be established and, and, and it would have to be confirmed. Marital unfaithfulness would have to be confirmed through three witnesses. Now, when I describe this, this is going to sound very, very familiar to you. And if it were to be confirmed by three witnesses, it would become grounds for divorce. And so here's how it would be confirmed as marital unfaithfulness. First, you go one to one. In other words, the spouse goes to their spouse one to one and says, listen, um, this is not what we agreed to. 
you are going to be a one-woman man. And I, and I know what's going on. Or, or I would go, and listen, your, your addiction, your drinking, your gambling, it is, it is wrecking our covenant. So you go one to one. The second step that's on the screen is two to one. Two to one. And, and what they would do is if one to one did not bring repentance of the spouse that was affecting ihad, affecting their unity, if the one on one did not bring repentance, now you go two to one. And most of the time, this would be bringing in a father. And now the father and the spouse are approaching the one that is breaking their covenant agreement. It is breaking their unity. Listen, your habitual behavior is affecting the livelihood of this marriage and your family. You're gambling away all that you have to provide for your family. You continue to to run off with other women. You continue to be lazy and you're not fulfilling God's, your agreement. You agreed to this. So two to one. And then it would go spiritual leaders to one. And now the spiritual leaders would now come and be involved. And, and, and should there still not be repentance, this would be three witnesses. And actually, in some communities, they had another tradition. Again, I'm just giving you some history. They would have another tradition where then they would send a minion. I'm not talking about little yellow dudes. A minion was a group of 10 men, and they would, if, if one-to-one didn't work, if two-to-one didn't work, if spiritual leaders-to-one didn't work, they'd send a minion. These 10 men show up at the house, and they're not selling Girl Scout cookies. These 10 men are rough dudes. It's even said that these 10 men would be known to flog a guy. And then, <laughs> if repentance still did not take place. If they continued to gamble, if they continued to be unfaithful, if they continued to be lazy, if they continued in their drunkenness, if they continued in their destructive behaviors, it was grounds for divorce. And that is the context. And that is the debate that Jesus was invited into when they asked him if a man can divorce his wife. And so what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this substantiating, unrepentant, marital unfaithfulness that may be more than just cheating, although it does include it? This is what it substantiates, is that you do everything you can possibly do. So when Jesus says, I side with Shammai, that a divorce can take place for marital unfaithfulness, He's not saying, gotcha, you're unfaithful, I'm out. No, no, no. It's committing to a process to establish a pattern to give that relationship every opportunity possible for repentance and reconciliation. One-to-one, two-to-one, spiritual leaders on one. Should we build a minion? (laughs) Deneen says yes. I need 10 volunteers. Come from <laughs> 10 strong dudes. David Myers, let's go. We're going <laughs> to, you're going to get a call from me. I would like to schedule a meeting at your house. There will be 10 of us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
I'm just giving you some history. This is not what the Bible says, but the principles are the same. The principles, what Jesus is saying is that divorce can take place for marital unfaithfulness, which is more than just cheating, although it can be. He's talking about doing everything possible. Do everything you can do possible. One to one, two to one, spiritual leaders to one. So if you're in an abusive relationship, my recommendation is to separate yourself from your abuser. Seek help. Pray for reconciliation. Find healing. That by some miracle, your marriage can be restored. I have seen and personally experienced that I have seen marriages that have experienced abuse, spouses that have had addictions, where there was even infidelity in the marriage, and yet God has completely restored their marriage. I've seen it. There is hope for every marriage, but there must be repentance the sin is not the excuse to divorce it's the pattern of unrepentant sin you see the difference the unrepentant sin to which you have done everything you can do and yet it remains so here's the question is divorce A sin. The answer is, it can be. It can be. Jesus said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. That's a sin. And again, we know now we know the working context of what he's saying is if you divorce so that you can marry someone else, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, you have sinned. This isn't to say that a divorced person can't remarry. We already talked about that. So is divorce a sin? It can be. Is divorce a sin? Sometimes it's not. You see, it's complex. So divorce can be a sin. And sometimes divorce is the best thing that has ever happened to somebody. Because... A life without boundaries is a Hebrew definition of hell. So sometimes it's not a sin. And Jesus said, except for marital unfaithfulness, a pattern of unrepentant behavior after you have done all you can do. So what if you've been through a divorce? Well, whether it was your fault or not your fault. Whether your divorce was sinful or rightful, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Find forgiveness. Choose right now that you will repent. In other words, that you will change. In other words, I went through divorce. Maybe it was a sinful one. Maybe it was a rightful one. But I've been through one. But I'm going to start doing it right, right now. 
I'm going to, re- I'm going to change. I'm going to do this the right way. So I do want to bring some encouragement to the divorcee. Because again, well-intentioned people for many years in the church, I've said, uh, have really looked down on people that have been through divorce. Even those that have been through a rightful divorce. Because there is such a thing. I want to look at uh, a scripture. I don't know if you're familiar with it. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. This is what it says. It says, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen the unfaithfulness Israel has done? You see, you have to understand that God had made himself one with Israel. The book of Exodus is actually a wedding proposal to the the Israelite people from the Lord. He tells Israel, you will be my one and only. He tells Israel, you are my treasured possession. And he makes a covenant with them. You are my special people. What's that sound like? Sounds like a marriage. And what we know of Israel is they would continue to worship other gods, false idols, time and time again. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, have you seen the f- what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. In other words, I've done all I can do. But she did not. And her unfaithful sister, Judah, saw it. And this is what the Lord says. So I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yet I saw her unfaithful sister, Judah, and had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. So this is what I want you to know. When we said that God hates divorce, God hates divorce because he knows the pain of divorce. He knows the pain of divorce. He hates divorce because whether sinful or rightful, it's the pulling apart of flesh. Both sides are hurt. So I want you to know that divorce does not disqualify you any more than it would disqualify God. So what now? So what now? Well, the first thing is this. If you are married... Do everything possible to protect your marriage. Hear me. Do everything possible to protect your marriage. Our stance as a church is this. To see if everything possible has been done to make sure reconciliation can take place. If it possibly can be. Divorce is not to be done flippantly or for any reason, even if she burns your bread. Do everything possible. So do everything possible to protect your marriage. The second thing is this. Use every resource you have to fix your problem. Divorce should be the last option. One-to-one, two-to-one, spiritual leaders on one. 
patience, giving opportunity for repentance. And if there is an unrepentant pattern, the last option should be divorce. If she burns your bread, don't bring up divorce. If she displeased you in some way, don't use the word divorce. Don't fight like that. No, no, no. Divorce wasn't even a talking point until unrepentant sin became a pattern. Then and only then, the question began to be asked, is divorce my only option? That is not the first response. It is the absolute last. Use every resource possible. Because Malachi says, the divorce is what floods the altar with tears. It's painful. And the third thing, never look down on those that have experienced the pain of divorce. You don't know their story. You don't know all the details of what has happened behind the scenes. Your only response to someone that has experienced the pain of the divorce of a divorce is to love them, let them know they're not alone. Whether it was rightful or sinful, there's hope. There's hope. So thank you for giving me the grace today that we are brave enough to talk about this and strong enough to discuss it. I know that um, maybe it was challenging for some of the ways that you've thought about the topic in the past or maybe you're still wrestling with something that was said today. All I know is that, is that it, is, it is vastly complex. Not every situation is the same. But whether you've, you're actively going through a divorce, I don't know. Whether that you're considering it, I don't know. Whether you've been through one or you're remarried, I don't know. But I know there's hope. I know that you can get on the right path. I know that if you're in your second marriage, third marriage, you can choose right now. We're going to do it God's way. We will, we will fight to remain united. We will guard our hearts. We're going to guard our marriage. And divorce will not be the first thing that comes out of our mouth. We will work to beat patterns of unrepentance so we never end up there. It takes intentionality, doesn't it? It can be one of the hardest things you do. And the easiest way out, it could be divorce. But that is not what we're called to. Covenant is so much bigger than that. That's why when we get married, the person we choose is so important. We don't, we don't do it flippantly. We are making a lifelong commitment. Listen, men, we made a lifelong commitment to watch over her, to protect her, to serve her. And women, you're, you're making a lifelong commitment that you will love him and honor him. And together, two lives will become one life. It is one of the most beautiful things. It's the illustration of, of God and his people. That he looks at us and calls us his treasured possession. Though we fail him, he remains faithful. And if you're experiencing a failure in your marriage, it, I, I encourage you, remain faithful, remain faithful. I have seen God restore some of the most hopeless situations, and I know he can restore 
your situation to. Let's all stand together. I hope to have accomplished what I hope to today, which was this to be encouragement that there's hope, that it would be inspiration to continue to fight on, that it would be motivation to stay and be happily married. And so we'll sing one last song as we dismiss, but right now I I just want to ask... um, I don't even know if we're gonna, we're not gonna even have our prayer teams come forward because sometimes I know these things can be very personal. But I do wanna give you an opportunity between you and God. And if you're standing with your spouse today, would you just maybe hold their hand or put your arm around them in some way? She doesn't like when I do this, but. I wanna pray for your marriage today. Let's just pray. Father, you're the best. I thank you, God, that you give us grace and mercy when we stumble and fall. May we illustrate that same grace and mercy that you have for us towards our spouses and our families. I pray for every marriage that's represented in this place this morning. You know all the intricate details of the behind the scenes. You know the trials that they've worked through. And God, you know the plans and purposes that you have set out for in their lives. And the enemy would love nothing more than to come and to destroy and to distract. But God, I pray that today a renewed commitment will be made between married people that we will have a resolve that we're married for life. And I'm willing to lay down myself, my selfish ways to serve you. And they would be reciprocal, one honoring another. That, that God, that you would even give uh, married people the courage to have honest conversations. That there's been areas in their relationship where there has been some level of unfaithfulness. And that the, that, that, that message would be heard humbly and the repentance would take place. Lord, I pray for people that have been through the pain of divorce and they can know that divorce does not disqualify them any more than divorce would have disqualified you. And Lord, that, that, that you would help people be healed and reconciled. And for those that, that, that their divorce has been lingering in the back of their mind in painful ways for years and years, it's time to let it go. It's time to move forward. And for those that God maybe have a second chance, they're in a, a, a new marriage, however it came about, Lord, that, that we would make a commitment, that a commitment would be made to follow your ways and to walk in repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.